0: This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student well-being, character development, and academic improvement. Welcome to The Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr.
1: Well, hi there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome our special guest to this episode. Margaret Court is an exceptionally well known Australian, most known for the success that she's had in the tennis court. Uh, she is without doubt the greatest woman tennis player, uh, arguably the greatest tennis player with the most success of, uh, of anyone that's come before or since. Um, Margaret, we're so glad that you've been able to make some time to talk with us today. Um, Can I welcome you to the Inspiration Project podcast?
0: It's wonderful to be with you and uh, just be able to share a little bit of my life story. I I love doing it. I had a very full life and uh, in sport, in ministry, and both worlds I've enjoyed so much uh, what's been placed on my life.
1: Thank you, Margaret. We will have a little chat about some of your life, some of your early stories, how you ended up becoming the success that you you did become in uh, in tennis and, and then explore how faith has become an important part of your life. So I look forward to what the next little while unfold for us.
0: I found that somebody said to me, you know, you could be the first Australian woman. And people used to ask me, what do you want you to do from tennis? I came from a country town. I say, I want to be the first Australian woman ever to win Wimbledon, not knowing what I was doing. I was speaking it yeah. into being... Yeah but then it was being activated in that because my coach saw the potential on me there was alcohol in our home so my escape was to the outdoors yeah right and right. i'd go over on the tennis courts every afternoon after school and and this coach and his wife didn't have any children so they sewed their life into me in those early years so Mama, yeah. you,
1: you're living in a country well, I have a good town story like that yeah it is a great story you're living in this yeah. country town and there were 24 grass tennis courts opposite
0: yeah, And Aubrey is a great tennis Aubrey, centre. Aubrey, yeah, right. in New South Wales. It's a great tennis centre. I uh, had a lot of good players come out of there and uh, I just uh, used to sneak over there even when I was closed mm. and I'd hit on the wall and he'd let me do that. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, I have had great people who have sown into my life uh, through in those early years because my family didn't have the money to pay for anything. Yeah.
1: If, if it wasn't tennis, would it have been something else? Do you you, you uh, spoke track. about being a, a national running. athlete.
0: I was a very good runner, yeah.
1: Sprinting, middle distance? Uh,
0: 220 back then. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, So you were yeah, quick. Yeah, I just, uh, I love to run. Uh, you know, I, I go for a walk even now and I feel like jogging, you know. Yeah. So I've always loved that side of it. Yeah, I loved the outdoors and sport. I was... Kick the football further than the boys and play cricket and beat the boys, you yeah, know. right. So, um, yeah. Well,
1: in, in that era, that wouldn't have gone down pretty very well, I wouldn't imagine. Did it cost you any well, look, friendships, make boys, you popular?
0: I boys in the street and I was the only girl, so right. I was sort of the leader of the gang. Had to
1: hold your own and, a bit more.
0: But, um, yeah, and uh, I think if I look back at perhaps if I lived in today's society, You'd think mentally, you'd think with all what comes at the young people today, you'd wonder, well, because I used to say oh I I, I I wished I was a boy, mum mm. you know mm. so you know mentally today you there was never ever any thought of what young people face today yeah. that wasn't even there. Yeah. I had two brothers and a sister, and I'd people and I'd say, well, I know I'm a girl and mm. they're boys. Mm. And uh, you know, I I didn't th- even though I said that, I didn't think that way. Mm. And uh, I thought, no, I like beating the boys, mm. you know.
1: Yeah, so well, good you, you. had that
0: battle. You didn't have that battle there. I, I knew as a girl, so as a yeah, girl. Understand.
1: You know? yeah. So you you mentioned that tennis was an, an opportunity for you to think a bit more broadly than than just town. Um, what was there something that you carried a sense of, of uh purpose? about your life, the sense of I have talent, there is, there's there's uh, a responsibility I for it to be developed? My coach
0: saw it. My coach saw it on me. Uh, at the age of 15, I had to leave. Albury. back then was only about 15,000 people. Mm. Uh, he said you're either going to go, have to go to Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. And uh, I was winning country tournaments and schoolgirl tournaments And uh, he went to Sydney and said to the coach uh, there, uh, you know, uh, that would you take her on? Mm. And he said, no, she's too skinny, too scrawny, she'll never make it. So he took me to Melbourne and actually one of our old time greats, Frank Sedgman, he came with the coach to have a look and he said, she has something, but we'll have to build her up in the gym. So back then women didn't pump weights or do Mm. anything like that. So I was only 15. So I used to go into his gym uh, at uh, very early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning before the guys started to come in. And uh, I started to lift weights Mm. and do circuit training and uh, track and Mm. train in the daytime. And I worked in an office because at school, uh, the Reverend mother of the convent back then, I think she saw I had something and she said to me, uh, Margaret, she said, um, I think you need to do a business course. So mm. I learned shorthand typing. Yep. So I had that to go down even at the age of 15 to be a sectary. Mm. So I would do that sort of work during the day and then they'd let me off for a couple of hours to go and train. Yeah, great. So, you know, they were, they were shaping me for the future Uh, You couldn't really see it then, but I trained that hard. I wanted to be the first Australian woman to win Wimbledon. Mm. And I think people saw that potential there. And the weights developed me Mm. and strengthened me. And um, as somebody said, she uh, came like a thoroughbred. She, Mm -hmm. She developed, you know. I remember in the gym I used to stand there and, I'd see there'd be Mr. Victoria in there. Sometimes we'd lap over and change over looking in the mirror and I'd I'd put my muscles up and they looked like a chicken instep, you know, they were so <laughs> tiny. And so you know, you remember all those things because they, they were part of your whole life in training. Indeed.
1: And so it wasn't just the natural talent. That natural talent had to be directed and harnessed and and shaped yeah, and supported right. by hard physical training.
0: Hard physical training, and I think I hardly ever had any injuries. I was 15 years sort of and probably 10 of those years at number one in the world, and I hardly ever had any injuries where I saw a lot of other players have knee injuries or shoulder mm. injuries. I never had anything like that, and I think it was all my weight training, mm. and I've been very blessed through life because physically still uh, at my age, uh, I haven't had any knee problems or hip problems or anything like that, and I believe it was all what I did in my early years yeah. uh, for my body. Yeah. yeah, that's good.
1: Tennis, you had a, this this goal meant something to you very early. This seed of of uh, an idea that got sown into you by somebody first Wimbledon, first woman Australian to win Wimbledon. Was that enough to carry you through, or, or did you need to set other goals? leading up towards that one? Was, was the the big prize sufficient?
0: Um, you know, I've always learnt, uh, I think, as a little girl, that I had that vision there. Mm. I had that goal out in front of me. And mm. all through life, even now, uh, you have to have vision, you have to have goals. And, uh, you know, when you you look at it back in my early years, I didn't know anything about Wimbledon. Mm. Um, we had no TV. Yeah. I didn't even know who was the number one tennis woman player in the world. Um, But there was something, I think, uh, as a little girl, my um, mum used to say to you, because I'd win a few, whether it was under 10 or under 12, she'd say it's a gift from God. And so people would say to me uh, as I got up, "Why is why are you so good?" Mm-hmm. I said, "It's a gift from God," mm-hmm. and and I knew that. Mm-hmm. And it it was interesting. I always used it to the best of my ability, yeah. even though you had things and struggles in life. I remember when I first went down to Melbourne, I didn't know how to eat properly. I stayed with a family and say. Would you teach me how to put the knife and fork properly? Because I see them doing it different to me. Yeah. And I didn't know how to speak properly. And I'd say to uh, Frank Sedgman, I was fortunate to live with them for a couple of years, and I'd say to her, Would you? Because I heard myself with the ABC do an interview, mm. and I thought, Oh, I don't speak very well. And so I'd ask her, would you help me, mm. um, you know, pick me up when mm. I say something wrong and teach me? Uh, so I think I always was quite teachable.
1: Yeah, so the, the attitudes of training. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this this habit of growth, improvement was, was something that yeah, um, you carried into other tried, parts of life. I
0: knew when there was something wrong when I was playing, um, I wanted to be better. Mm. You know, I always wanted to improve and even when I was number one in the world, people say, oh, you're so good, you've done this or you've done that. I say, no, I can still improve yeah. in such a such. Yeah. And I think that was probably one of my strengths in many ways if I look back today, not yeah. knowing it at the time, but I always knew there was room for improvement. I think if I always thought, yeah, I look at me, I'm great, I don't think I, don't think I would have ever done what I did. Yeah.
1: So you you mentioned that you spent ten years at the top. So the hard work to achieve that goal and be, become the success. And then was was it just as much hard work? Was it different sort of work to stay there to to uh, stave off the, oh, the contenders? Easy to get there. <laughs> easy to get there. That's... it.
0: Was easy to get to the top, but was staying there mm. that was most difficult. And in that time, because in the early years it was amateur, there was no yeah. money much. Was under the counter sort of thing, and we'd be away for ten months of the year. I used to get homesick, and that's why I came to retire in Perth when I was Mm. twenty-five. Won everything. I think I'd won two Wimbledons and probably four or five Australians and a couple of US and the French and a couple of Grand Slams.
1: Actually, I think Margaret, a couple of.
0: I hadn't won a grand. I've won a lot of the Grand Slams Mm. in those early years but I hadn't won the Grand Slam right. all in all the four. In the calendar year. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, it wasn't, I retired, came to Perth. I picked up a squash racket and uh, uh, played squash. I didn't play tennis at all. I said, finish with tennis. And uh, this, Perth was good. It was a hideaway. Nobody mm. knew me over here. The press mm. knew me so well in the, mm. in the eastern states. And so I had a ball and opened a fashion boutique mm-hmm. uh, with a friend over here. And that was when I met my husband mm. in the, those two years of retirement here. And when I just said to him after we're married, how about we go over six, you see the life I led and we'll go farming. And so uh, that was the idea, but back, went back into tennis and got back to number two in the world in that first year. After not picking up a racket for two years, but played squash and got to number two in the state here in squash, and uh, so we we enjoyed that trip. And so then, open tennis came in, and that was a whole new game, whole different. You could notice the difference
1: in the the way the the game was played. Was was it more intense?
0: Open tennis came in, the money came in. Yes, it's easier to travel. Uh, There was a lot more promotion. Things just changed a bit. And uh, so then somebody said to me, all the way through my career, I always had to have goals. I Mm. wanted to be the first Australian woman uh, to win Wimbledon. Uh, Then I wanted to uh, win the Grand Slam all four: Australia and the French, Wimbledon, US, uh, all in the one year. That's very hard to do. I went close uh, two other times. And uh, I hadn't done it. And uh, when you look at Serena Williams today, she still hasn't done it. Fedra Mm. hasn't done it. It's Mm. it's not easy to do it in the one year. And uh, so somebody said to me, why don't you go for the Grand Slam? Mm. So it was uh, when we went back in, people say, what do you want to do? I say, I'd like to win the Grand Slam. And so that was 1970. Mm. And so we stayed on in open tennis then for about, probably around eight years, nine Mm. years, and uh, probably I won more championships after I was married than I did before. And then after I had my first child, they said, she'll finish now. And I said, no, I haven't quite finished yet. I wanted to be the first mum to be number Mm -hmm. one in the world. So that all happened uh, after our first child. So I always had those goals. Yeah. And uh, probably if I looked, I should have said I'd like to win a second Grand Slam, Uh, but uh, that goal wasn't there and I fulfilled. And when I hung my rackets up, I knew I fulfilled everything. I didn't. You were happy to walk away. I didn't miss it at all. Mm. It was the
1: right time for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was the right time for me uh, to retire. Uh, But I did come back after a second child thinking I'd do as well because Mm. after that first child... I won 23 out of 24 tournaments that, that second year back after that. And um, and then I thought, well, I'll have another one and come back, but my heart wasn't there anymore and I didn't have any goals. Yeah. That's why it's important to have goals.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I can understand. You, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the, your, your, your capacity to state this is what I'm aiming for, this is to articulate the yeah, end point. Yeah generated uh, it, a motivation in you that could carry you through
0: and uh, it it motivates you to go that harder to mm. work a little bit harder mm. it motivates you uh, to train more mm. I mean Percy Sarity probably was one of the best track uh, coaches he, he coached Herb Elliott who was a great uh, runner back in those times and uh, we, there was a whole group of tennis players in Melbourne and we used to go run down, run at Port C, mm. down with him and run on the sand hills and, and we would go up into the dandelion. Mm. I mean, by the end of the day, we could hardly walk. Yeah, But you knew there was something in you that you just wanted to push that little bit more, do that little bit extra. Mm. Yeah, you could get away with not doing it. But you just knew if you wanted to be the best, and I think, uh, you know, Frank Sedgman used to say, uh, if you want to be the best in the world, you're going to have to be fitter than anybody. Mm. And my coach in Melbourne said to me, because no Australian had ever won the French Championship, it's on clay. Yeah. We didn't have clay. Yeah. And so we only had car in Victoria. And, but we did never, ever played on play. And my coach would say to me, okay, if you can get the ball over 100 times in a row, he said, you'll beat all those European girls because they knew how they didn't volley. I was a very good at The game was different today. I loved to volley. I'd serve volley and and that was part of my skill. And uh, he said, if you can hit the ball over 100 times, well, I'd get to 92 and if I missed it, it'd say, "Let's start again." Oh. So we—that's what was put into me. Mm. But I—I love that. I love the training of it all. Um, Probably even more than the competition side of it. I love to get out, and I love to run and to jump and do circuit training, and that was easy to me.
1: Mm. And and this was all for your self. Fulfillment. It wasn't for the crowds or for the accolades or f- for the, the the publicity. It
0: wasn't for self fulfillment. I said I wanted to be the first Australian woman mm. ever to win Wimbledon. But don't ask start crying? Because mm. I played for my nation. Yeah, I still yeah. love my nation. Amen. Pray for my nation. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. It's but
1: a beautiful I'm thing there. to see your heart.
0: Well, I know the Holy Spirit does that every yes. time I mention Australia. Yes. I pray for my nation that it becomes a Christian nation. Um, but I used to see the flag going up when I was playing, and it bring tears to my eyes and goosebumps. And um, I prayed for, the- I prayed for the people of this nation. Yeah,
1: yeah, and we are. I think the nation is is uh, very proud of the way you represented our our nation. You're a much-treasured personality in, in our history. Margaret, can I ask you, you mentioned earlier that you would tell people how, why was it that you were so good that it, you would answer this is a gift from God and you obviously had an awareness of God in, early in your life, going to a Catholic school. What was the change of experience from that, that uh, more distant, more formal notion of God to a very deeply personal relationship with God?
0: Well, I think when I was a little girl and my mum uh, would go to church and to mass every Sunday and we'd have to go and didn't fully understand it all because it was in Latin and French. Mm. And um, But I always knew uh, about Jesus and mm. particularly Easter and Christmas and, and I used to pray uh, and then being in a Catholic school, uh, that was there. And I knew the 10 commandments and, you know, there was some wonderful morals and values placed Mm. into my life. Mm. And, uh, you know, I never forgot that. And as uh, a reverend mother, uh, she could see, I think the athletic side of me. And she was a remarkable lady, a beautiful lady. Mm. She lived late into her nineties and, uh, she would say to me, "That's." she was the one that said to me at the age of uh, 14, I think you need to do a business course because somehow I feel you're going to go on in sport and mm. that's where your heart is and I believe you'll do well and you, you need to do this. So there were such people through my life that sort of saw mm. something on me or guided me mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, right through that time and, uh, all through there, even when I was traveling and then I started to become famous and and even in my sport, I, whatever nation I went to, I, I would go to church. Mm. And uh, the press would say to me, why are you so good? I said, it's a gift from God. Mm. And I would ask him sometimes, please help me. Mm. Um, and I'd sort of say, God, I'm not, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to last and I knew I know this is a gift from you. Please help me. Mm. And you know, sometimes there would be just like this strength would come. Mm. And I think, where would it come from? Mm. And I always knew there was something far greater than me. Mm. And I talked to him just I didn't know what I know that today from the Bible. I didn't mm. even own a Bible. Mm. But I knew this there was something Bigger than me, stronger than me. I knew he made the trees. Uh, I knew, you know, the the beauty and I'd be walking across the road in France or somewhere and I'd see somebody in the wheelchair and I'd say, thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you for my health. Amen. And so in this childlike, <clears throat> excuse me, very simple way, the that was built in me. And I think it was one year... I was uh, playing in the French championship and I I went to church there and they're speaking in Latin and French. And I said, God, I don't understand a word they're saying. I know you're there. Why don't you reveal yourself to me? And uh, that year I went on to America and the family we stayed with there and we got to know over the years. She was going off to all these meetings and uh, gave me these little books. And I said to my husband, this was, Uh, sort of in the, uh, back in the early, probably back uh, in the early 80s, I think it was, no, the early 70s. And um, and I said, I think she'd become a religious nut. And Mm -hmm. I put these books in the rubbish bin, but I kept one about accepting Jesus Christ Mm. uh, as Lord of my life. And it was in that uh, time when I came home, uh, that was in the Catholic renewal, actually a mm. friend of mine, uh, said, I just give my heart to Christ. And I said, funny, I read a little book on that, but it didn't mean much. I'd like to come with you. And, uh, so that was in 1971. Mm. And, um, so I went along to meetings with them mm. and, uh, I gave my heart to Christ. Uh, I went forward in a meeting and, uh, said the prayer of salvation and then went back into tennis after that for about another four years. But I had such an experience. I had a a real encounter when I gave my heart to Christ. Yeah. And uh, he came to live on the inside of me and I knew that. Went back into the tennis world, different. Even the press people say, what is it? Something's happened to you. I said, I went along to a meeting and I said, you know, I said the prayer of salvation when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. And I said, I said that. And that was Romans 10 9 and 10. And I, I, when I went back on the circuit, I said um, to somebody, please write that prayer out for me. And you know, I got thousands of people around the world saved through that prayer. And that's all I really knew. And I'd say, I want you to be in heaven with me. And wouldn't that be good? Because we know one another. We may not see one another after I finish my tennis. And they said, yeah, we like that. It was so simple. So, um, you know, he's always been there, but now you know yeah. so much more from yeah. the Bible and the New Testament and the epistles um, who you become in Christ. And I, you know what? I'd love to have known what I know today, particularly in the area of the mind, the mind's a battlefield, particularly when I was playing tennis because you'd lack confidence at times or insecurities in yourself, mm. I feel I would have won six Wimbledons, not three. Wow. Because I, yeah. I I beat myself. People used to say to me, you should never lose a match, but you're your own worst enemy. And, you know, in the scriptures it says, as a man thinker, yes. so is he. Yes. And life and death are in the power of the tongue when you eat the fruit of it. And if I had known some of these biblical uh you know, scriptures and the mind mm. particularly, uh, you wouldn't have the battles you have. Mm. You'd, you, you'd think on the good things, the lovely things, the pure things. Mm. You, you'd learn to stabilise that mind even more.
1: Yeah. Would have been a marvellous to, to see the, the career that might have been if you'd had it from the start. Margaret, being somebody famous and having such a life-transforming experience as, as you've described for us, was it harder to, to live that under the inspection of the media and the public, and the, your, your, your other people well, your on the, life, on the um... your
0: life is never your own. Mm. Uh, you know, with particularly with media, uh, media back then probably is not as bad as they are today. Mm. Uh, weren't so much in your face. The media knew the game; uh, they would be the same people. Uh, traveling with you 10, 12 years. You get to know them. Mm. Uh, you could trust them more back then. Today, I mean, they change just every other maybe a year or six months. Mm. You never see the same face very often twice mm. um, and not so much in your front. They face, They knew the sport mm-hmm. uh, and they knew your history. They knew your life. They knew you were genuine. Uh, so there was a there was a respect there between you. Uh, You don't see that today. Um, But, uh, you know, you knew you were representing your nation. I was taught that as a little girl. Um, I was my coach. I remember throwing my racket into the back fence. I didn't think he was looking when I was little. He said to me, you ever do that again, I will not coach you. Mm. And so that was hit right on the head Mm. right at that time. And uh, I was always taught you're a role model Mm. for the next generation. You're a role model. You represent your nation. Uh, People are watching you. Mm. The press is is watching you. And young people watch what you do. Mm. And so uh, I was always taught we Mm. were taught to be role models for for the next generation and for our nation. Mm.
1: Becoming a Christian, did that change that notion? Did it? Raise the stakes for you to say, no, I'm not just representing my Uh, nation, I'm representing uh, my faith? uh,
0: When I was um, number one in the world, uh, I thought I always had that to a certain extent, but becoming a a Christian and I was representing Jesus Christ. Mm. And I wanted everybody to know Jesus. Mm. I wanted the whole world to know what I had because when I gave my heart to Christ, I came this unbelievable joy. Yeah. And uh, that's why the press would say, why are you smiling? You never used to smile like that. You're (laughs) always so serious. And I'd say, I don't really know, but I know I gave my heart to Christ and he's come to live on the inside of me. And I said, I don't know, it's just something that he now lives within me. And I said, I have this joy. And so in many ways it did. I was representing him. Yeah. Uh, but I always felt before you that part of that was there, but I never knew the reality of it. I understand yeah
1: so you 've carried your faith into your tennis and and it uh, sustained you and and gave you opportunity to to share the good news with others. At the end of tennis, your your um, activities took another turn. you felt a call to to uh, ministry. Can you tell us a bit about how how that part of your life developed?
0: Well, in uh, 1982 and 83, uh, after I hadn't become uh, very well, having the children, and my husband was away, and I went through a time of sickness, and I went into Bible school, and uh, I was healed in Bible school, totally healed. Mm. Um, you know, I had I just had the family and. Uh, started to help people and work within my our church back then. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a little drink. Yeah,
1: feel, feel free. I understand it entirely.
0: And um, I found uh, with the children I just worked within the church, in mm. our church, and did things, not knowing one day that perhaps I was going to pastor. I didn't know any of that, And but I loved helping people. Mm. I saw people... Um, and uh, you know, but even when I was playing tennis, I did too. Mm.
1: Um,
0: I always saw a weakness back then in somebody's game. I would help them.
1: You'd act as a, <laughs> a, a quasi coach for your for your competitors.
0: Yeah, Is that right? it, yeah. Well, I did. You saw that back then. Yeah. And um, but then when I came over into the gospel and Christianity and finishing Bible school, I saw what the Word of God did in my life. Yes. And uh, I'd find I uh, just look at people and see whether they were depressed or they had a need. And mm. I started helping people. Mm. I worked in the nursery. Then I worked in, to, in the area of uh, teaching on prayer. I've always mm-hmm. loved prayer. I've been an intercessor for ever since I became born again. And um, I found within our church, I had a very a big prayer ministry. We had about 300 in that. So wow. I led that. I was in counseling and hospital visitation, home visitation, all these things, and bringing up a family uh, of, uh, with a, uh, a son and uh, three daughters. Yes. we you know how they're all married, and we have nine grandchildren. And uh, I find uh, all those things uh, were part of training for my life that God had not knowing in uh, 1991 that I was going to be ordained as a minister. Uh, then the Lord laid on my heart uh, to have a ministry out into community centres. Mm. And uh, so I did that uh, for about five years, helping people, seeing the needs out in the city, mm. uh, getting people saved, praying for the sick, mm. uh, just encouraging and teaching people what I learned, particularly in the area of the mind, mm. overcoming depression, dealing with fear, just the normal things of life. Mm. And uh, so the Lord spoke to me It would have been back in about 1995. He said, I want you to pastor a church. Mm. Well, I didn't know any women that did that. Yeah. And then somebody told me, um, that there was uh, a lady in Singapore that had a very large church. And then I read something on Brother Hagen on women in ministry, and I, I started to see, well, God, you've called me. And I said to my husband, my husband was a great encouragement to me in my tennis days. We traveled together. And I said to him, I feel God's calling me to be a pastor. And he just said, well, if you are called to be to do that, you better do it. Mm. And so there, back in that time, uh, the Holy Spirit showed me uh, two men who I went through Bible school with who had works in country areas. Uh, they, um, I uh, got their faces and I phoned them and I said, uh, look, don't give me an answer right away. I said, I want you to pray about it for me in a couple of weeks uh, God's calling me to start a church and like you to come in alongside me. Mm. And they'd both been out in ministries for 10 years. They both come back and said, yeah, we believe it's God. Wow. So that's how we started Victory Life Church here in Perth, and it's nearly 25 years ago now. And out of that, uh, we put now put out, uh, over 50 tons of food a week wow, into community, my goodness. and what is happening in community at the moment? You can imagine how how large that's got. We have an international Bible training center. We're in 20 nations of the world, um, and it's just grown and grown. and And I've seen what God's done in it. This wonderful grace upon yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's not about me. Uh, it's about people's lives changing. Uh, people being set free yes, and uh, we just uh, find it just, um, you know, we have churches all around the world now so it's been a great experience and a walking a walk, I think, uh, no different in many ways to the tennis circuit. You had your battles. We have our battles in life, whatever you're in, whether you're you're heading up a school or you're heading up a church or you're the prime minister, there's always battles and, um, but you you learn how to walk through them. And that's what's so wonderful, I think, about Christ and the Holy Spirit. Indeed. Uh, you know, they're on the inside of you. They'll yes. bring you through the yes. toughest times. And, and uh, you know, we've got the greatest coach on the inside of us. And uh, we seek him in prayer. Mm. We put him first. I always learned a wonderful thing in Bible school. It's always God first, mm. husband, wife children, work, ministry, and you put your priorities yeah. right and you always find that yeah. um, it comes through. You've mentioned the some of the challenges that
1: you are currently meeting as in ministry, the needs are out there. You mentioned some of the things in your own life where it was hard and it, um, tough times. Um, the, well, the notion that Christianity doesn't exempt us from difficulty or challenge or sickness, but is an answer or an antidote to those things?
0: Do you have some reflections on that? we all go through things, um, uh, you know, particularly even when you have a family and your children and uh, you the worry or the care or the stresses or a business. And, uh, you know, when I went into Bible school, uh, we looked like losing all our finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, we... Uh, And my husband was in a a company, and uh, you know, and you had these had children, and and I was sick, Mm. uh, had been sick, and we looked like losing our finances. I wasn't well. You weren't coping. Uh, But it's amazing what the Bible, what's in the Bible, it's our TV guide to life. Mm. It's our roadmap to success. Mm. And I always look back. And I think from even that time, and even in sport, the biggest battle was the area of the mind. Mm. Uh, whether you're a young person, uh, it doesn't matter how little, uh, how big, what we're through. It's this mind mm. is where the battlefield is. It's a gateway down into your heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can think on things long enough and get down into there. The next thing you'll be speaking it and you'll be doing it. Mm. And that's why we learn to train up in this this area uh, to think on the good things, lovely mm. things, pure things. I think if anything I've learned, you go through things, whether it's uh, sickness, uh, whether it's in a family, whether it's marriage. My husband and I have been married 53 years now.
1: Congratulations. And
0: uh, so coming up 54, but I've had to work the word of God. Yes. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And then you have children or they go off somewhere and they're getting into wrong things. You learn how to pray, Mm. but to take the word of God and trust God. Mm. And you learn if you have that word put into them, when they're young and know God when they're young and put the scriptures in there Mm. because I haven't got a spirit of fear Mm. but of power and love and sound mind. The Lord is the light of my salvation. If you meditate those things, Mm. you'll walk in life without fear and Mm. try and come. Mm. Indeed. But you start to take the word of God, it's spirit. Mm. Uh, When we give our heart to Christ, we are a spirit being. We live in a body and we have a soul, which is the area of the mind. We try being. And then, then there's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, try being. Mm. Well, he's made us in the image of, He. we come when we give our heart to Christ, we come into this wonderful covenant with yes. him. And when we get married, uh, we come into covenant, we mm. become one flesh. When mm. we come into Christ, we become one in spirit. And that's why the Bible is such a spiritual book. Yes. You and I'll pass away, but it's yes. word one. So you learn that words
1: Yeah, and powerful
0: what you speak. Yeah, and um, you know, as that little girl wanting to be the first Australian woman to win Wimbledon, you learn the power in those words. Yes, and no different to to when you get to sixty or thirty or forty or seventy, your life and death are in the power of the time. So you you learn, uh, you know, those thoughts. Even when I went through depression, I thought, God, life's not worth living. Mm. And I learned through the scriptures that life was worth living. Amen. That we're valuable, that we're precious, that we're made in the image of him. I started to speak that. Yes, amen. And how much God loved me. I didn't know. Nobody ever taught me. I thought God was out to get me. Yes. Uh, I started to hear how much he, he loved me and gave yes. his life for me. Yes. And I started to say that. God, you love me so much. You gave me a, your life for me. If I was Mm. only a person in the world, you gave your life for me. And, you know, you start to know his love. Yes. And uh, faith comes by hearing. It's who you get around. You get around the wrong group of people and they're speaking negative and they're saying things over you all the time. Or you may come from a, a home that, like I came, there was alcohol in our home. My escape was out to the out to the tennis courts. My mum didn't drink, but my dad did. Mm. And there was always these arguments and fights and words, and my, that was my escape. Mm. And uh, so I looked for it out there. Mm. I want. I wanted to become good at something, you know. Uh, but you, you learn that through the scriptures, that God's always given us the roadmap to success, even if we're little, even yes. if we're old, Amen. to be able to, learn about the words of our mouth about yes. our mind and uh, he said be not conformed but be transformed yes. by the renewing of your mind yeah. That's great that's great
1: Margaret you've been talking about the power of God's word and the power of that that is in our capacity to, to claim and profess that word it the power of of uh, criticism it, it would be Fair to say that in the last few years, you've been the target of some pretty hefty criticism. what What have you found to be the the counteracting power of some of that language, some of those words that have that have been used to describe you or about you?
0: Well I think it was interesting, uh, you know when I went back in my tennis days and I gave my heart to Christ. And I knew even back then there would be criticism because I was very open Mm. with with people say, what is it? I'd say, I've become a born-again Christian. I've given my heart to Christ and I've had a wonderful encounter with him. I mean, that's the way I speak. And uh, I remember even back in those times, uh, I was in prayer one day and the Holy Spirit said to me, When you speak to press, only say what I say. Mm. Uh, And if you're going to talk about the Bible, say what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And I always have learned to say what God says. Mm -hmm. It's not what I say, particularly about marriage Mm. or family uh, or different morals and values. As long as I can say it in love. I love the people. Yes. Uh, but a wrong doesn't make a right. Yes. And uh, I feel our young people of today are being very robbed uh, because I did learn when I was little what was right and mm. what was wrong. Mm. You don't step over some boundaries mm. or you're going to get into trouble. And I had learned those things through the Ten Commandments, through the Our Father. Mm. They they were planted into me and I feel with the press, you know, because if we'd had marriage for 2,000 years. Why would you change it? Because God says in Genesis, marriage is between a man and a woman, and then Jesus says exactly the same in the Gospels, and then Paul says it in the Epistles, and he said this is a mystery, and that's why the it is a mystery because we become one spirit when we come into Christ, and then when we're marriage, we become one flesh. We're like interwoven one with another. And that's how God's family, it's all interwoven. We're in him and he's in us. And and with the press, I just to say what God says. Yes. So when I say what God says, it takes it off me. The personal. Puts yep, it on God. Understand. And so I know in my heart that my heart is pure. Yes. I've said it out of love and not out of bitterness and hatred and yes. resentment, uh, trying to help people, trying to protect young people you don't need to go that way yes. because it is a thought that will create it. God made you male or female, and He loves you. But it's thoughts again. If you start thinking, well, if I'd is a little girl when I was such a tomboy, and I love my shorts and being a tomboy, I thought oh, I got brothers, they're boys. I'm girls. If I had what comes at the young people today and said, well, maybe you're a boy or maybe you're a girl, Uh, but God says I made you a girl. And uh, this thought realm starts to think when somebody says, I think you're a boy or you're a girl. Yes. And you've got to dress that way or you're doing, you start to think like that. And we press know the power of words. Yes. Uh, Television know the power of words. And thoughts will be planted in people's minds and their hearts. They start to think like that. It affects your emotions. It affects your feelings until you actually believe something that you're not. Yes, I understand. That's how powerful it is. Yes,
1: and as you've been describing through the story of your life, the power of the Word of God that can penetrate and and, um, give strength and a foundation for who you are becoming, who he wants you to become.
0: Uh, That's right, because uh, from the time you're born – and what is spoken over your life or what you're brought up into, but you don't have to stay that way. Yes. You can change it. It doesn't matter what you've been through in life and horrific things happen in people's lives, uh, but you don't have to stay that way. When you know Jesus Christ and you know the power of his words and the love of his words and you take your refuge in him. Yes. And you start to seek him, you start to know about the power of words, you start to know about the mind. It wouldn't matter what's happened in your life. It's overcoming. Amen. It's temporal. Amen. Subject change. And you start to learn greater is he that is in you yes. than he that is in the world, and you start to learn life is in the tongue. Yes. Death is in the. So I can bring myself out of that place of depression, out of that place where I've been hurt, or bitterness, and I think one of the, the greatest things I've ever learned is forgive. Mm. Unforgiveness holds us in a place of bondage. Amen. Um, and in, I think it's in uh, Mark eleven twenty five. it says, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, we'll receive nothing. Yes. And we learn to forgive and forget because that's what Jesus did for us. Yes. Yes he looks at our past, it doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done, and when we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me, come into my life, our past is completely wiped yes. out. And even with one another is if giving one another, Lord, I forgive. Yes. You pray for that person and say, but I can't forgive them. It's been so horrible. It hurts. You just pray for them and you find God takes it. Yes. And you think, oh, did they ever really hurt me? Yes. And, uh, you know, I look at the press, I look at the LGBT, I mean, I have nothing against them. I love them because I pray for them yes. and I pray they come to know And that's what you, you want because you know your heart is right with him. And I think that is the most important thing in life.
1: Amen. Margaret, it has been a delight to talk with you and to hear about how God has uh, carried you into the highest places of influence and success and also reached down into the the centre of your being and giving you a strength and a, and a word of comfort and assurance about what He's doing in you and through you, you are a much valued Australian because of the successes on the tennis court. But I know that it means more to you to hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant." That, thank that you. audience well, you of one. You've up the
0: wonderful work too. Thank you. Thank you. It's been thank wonderful
1: talk. To you. you too. God bless you, okay. Margaret Court. Yeah.
0: Bye. God bless.